0: Welcome to the Grad School Femme Touring Podcast. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez-Vu, and I will be serving as your Femme tour, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into graduate school. For the past 10 years, I've been helping undergraduate students get into top graduate programs in their field, and I'm really excited to share this information with you too.
1: All right. Welcome everyone. I am again, excited to have another awesome speaker. Uh, Today, we're gonna have someone who's gonna talk to us on the topic of being a PhD mom on autism and on studying what you're living. Our guest is Fernanda Castellon. She is a current graduate student at the University of California, Los Angeles and is pursuing a PhD in education. She completed her BA at the University of California, Santa Barbara how we know each other, in psychology and Chicana and Chicano studies, Fernanda is interested in researching how culture and autism intersect and consequently impact family dynamics, schooling, and access to care. Fernanda's passions stem from her own experience as a sibling of an autistic adult. As a native Spanish speaker, Fernanda advocates and promotes for the implementation of cultural adaptations to recruitment and intervention protocols, in order to promote the recruitment and retention of ethnic and racial, racially minority, or yeah, racial minority populations. Welcome, Fernanda.
2: (laughs) Hi, so happy to be here. I'm excited. Yes.
1: So I'm gonna start with just a question. I usually start folks, you know, with, with a basic question about if you can share more about yourself, who you are, your background, your research interests, and essentially like what led you to pursuing grad school um in your current department uh,
0: at ucla
2: yeah so like you said my name is fernanda castellon um i always like to say i'm the middle child of six um so that's definitely shaped just the way i go about things i'm always running around Um, i'm a first generation immigrant i was born in puerto vallarta jalisco um, and my family moved to the United States into the LACO services for my autistic brother. Um, I moved when I was nine and he was seven. Um, and, and yeah, um, he's now 23 and I'm 25. Um, and it's really shaped the way that I look at research, my research interests, and the, the way that I approach community-based participatory work. Um, like Yvette was saying, um, my research interests revolve around all things autism and culture. And at the end of the day, I want my research to empower individuals to achieve the best quality of life that is possible. So I honestly feel like there's a big shift in the way that we're doing autism research and the way that we even frame how what autism is. So I'm excited for that. I think that a lot of change is coming and I want to be on the right side of that change. So yeah. Um, and. The way that I went into grad school, um, I always knew what my parents never hid it from us that my brother was different, or that he had a disability from a young age. So I always, my mom always tells me that when I was little, like I would walk around and people ask me like, what do you want to be when you're older? I'd be like, oh, I want to be a pediatrician specialist to kids with autism. And they'd be like, whoa, that's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So like, imagine like a five-year-old saying that. It's like, okay, wait, why do you even know what that is? Mm -hmm. And reflecting back, like, yes, I am going to be a doctor and my specialty is going to be special education and disability studies with an emphasis on autism. So it's just like, it's just crazy like how I was at the young, a very young age, like I was manifesting what I'm doing now in a way. Um, And I love my work. Like right now, I'm like in the uh, development of a interview protocol for interviewing um, bilingual parents of children with ASD and just trying to see if they, if bilingualism was promoted, if they had access to those services and if it's shaped their family dynamics. Um, and I just had a focus group last week with like moms trying to validate the questions I'm asking. And I just like, I'm reminded, like, I love what I'm doing because wow. they were like, so open to sharing. they're like, these are awesome questions. Like, and sharing their experiences at the same time, even though I didn't ask them to answer the questions themselves, mm-hmm. but they were just so eager to share. And it's just like, yes, like, Like, I just love qualitative work because of that. Um, But then again, like for my master's thesis, I did a quantitative paper on looking at the um, rates of English proficiency among children who are both EL students and have ASD. So that work is also really passionate to me because it showed that kids who have that double identification are not likely to become English proficient and are not likely to be included in general education settings. So it's just like that, like I really into both types of methodologies but again it's like what approaches are we doing or what are we doing so that um individuals have the best access to quality services and um preparing them to have the best quality of life
1: you know it's interesting because when I met you you weren't a mom yet (laughs) and now you're in grad school and you're a mom and you're interviewing moms yeah uh and I know you've had a caregiving role for a long time but I'm just curious I know I wanted you to talk about your transition to motherhood Mm -hmm. and how you've been navigating kind of raising a baby while being in grad school but then also based on what you shared right now I'm thinking about how has your experience becoming a mom also shed light on your research because you are interviewing moms yourself. Yeah.
2: I think being a mom has made me realize how much parents are willing to do for their kids. Especially like just thinking about another research interest of mine is like immigrant um, immigrant parents of children with ASD. And it's like looking at like that immigrant experience is like really making it clear how much like parents are willing to do everything and anything for their kids including moving a country so like I don't know like it's like that really sits with me and it's like really impactful and I think to other people it's not so I think maybe as a mom it like really like it takes my breath away like yes like they're really lit. like and one of my upcoming projects is going to be interview parents who cross the border from TJ to San Diego to bring their kids to special ed so again it's like documenting like parents are able to they're they're willing to do whatever so thinking about that like parents are willing to get up at three in the morning make like wake up their kids by four or five to get to the border to get to school by seven and they go to a full-time job and then do it all over again the next day so like it's it it makes me appreciate it's like I also want to I always try to validate parents like even though you didn't have the right resources Mm -hmm. because a lot of the moms that I've interviewed so far are older their kids are adults they're in their Mm -hmm. mid-20s early 30s and they're like well like they're by now they're identified as also having intellectual disability they're like but if my son had had all these services at a younger age like the possibilities would have been endless and like you did what you could right so it's like yeah. uh, validating that they did what was available to them at that at the time and it's also you're doing everything you can for them now and I think that part of that is also letting them know that they're that their kids are adults and that mm-hmm. they're capable of being of being independent right. so I think that side is like a lot of tension because also as parents we want to protect but mm-hmm. it's also like assume competence assume that they're able to do things Yes. yeah so I don't know I I think now that I'm a parent I'm able to explain to parents about assuming competence a little bit Mm -hmm. more so and I think sometimes that makes parents a little bit um uncomfortable because they're so used to doing everything
1: can you talk a little bit more about that about this idea of assume competence because Um, A lot of the listeners may not be aware, may not know much about uh, Mm -hmm. autism, the autistic community and also the um, assumed incompetence and the um, a lot of like the deficit based kind of ideas that get passed around. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So with autism, obviously, even itself, the ASD it's autism spectrum disorder. So just the word disorder is like something's wrong. So right away, it's like, oh, the child's not able to do things. Like their child, one could not be able to communicate, focus, speak, um, not able to make friends because of their autism. But so a lot of the times we use intervention to address those um, lack of abilities. But at the same time as we're using like an, a hegemonic normative idea of what friendships look like or what communication looks like so assuming competence would be that like no your child can make friends but maybe they need a little bit more support Mm -hmm. finding common interests maybe we need to read a story before like how do we ask someone to play with us and then we are giving them the tools so that they're able to go out and be and have like an idea of what making a friend might look like so they're able to have those supports that we established in the in the playground by themselves and now we're, we're the more we expose them the more we um go through that experience mm-hmm. with them they'll be able to make friends more and more so that's just like a small example yeah um but yeah like assuming i guess uh, assuming comments is like assume that your child can and will do it maybe they'll need more supports mm-hmm. and they'll need more um supports learning and even achieving and even supports can be prompts supports can be visual schedules and we all use supports we all yes. have a google calendar well that's the
1: thing autism yeah. is a spectrum exactly. like it's not just like oh hi low. it's like a whole and, yeah. and probably all of us are in some sort of are <laughs> like you know we we all have different strengths and challenges and yeah. i i feel like that all the time because i too like my my child is autistic himself yeah. too and and I'm like, he's got these strengths that I'm like, I don't even have that. Yeah. I don't have- <laughs> and yeah. there's some things that I'm like, yeah, I need, I need help with my own, um, <laughs> with my own, uh, what is um, like regulating myself and my yeah. schedule and all that. So all the things that helped him actually helped me too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But at the same time, it's like even autistic individuals and self-advocates emphasize that autism is a disability. Like even with like Um, the really like I was saying there's a big change with the way that we are framing autism and that's uh, being like pushed forward by like the neurodiversity community neurodiverse community like even then they're like yes like even though like I don't need a lot of supports I like autism is a disability it affects the way that I interact Mm -hmm. with my everyday with the way that I interact with individuals the way that I experience the world like I so at the end of the day, we do want to recognize that autism is a disability, yes. Um, yes. And we need to not only like, like how we say like autism acceptance, like or uh, um, autism awareness. Like, no, it's autism acceptance. It's yeah. like recognizing that this is like just part of our diverse community, and that if um, they need supports, it's just that should be enough to be able to grant these individuals the supports that they need. It's like. If you tell me, if I tell you like, oh, can you set up alarm for me to wake up tomorrow? Like, you're not gonna ask me a question. So it's like, so, but an individual asking you for a more, not typical type of support, it's like, but why do you need that? Like, you know, it's like, we have like a very like hegemonic idea of what supports look like because they, they help us engage with the world in a certain way. But the, the supports that um, autistic individuals need are not what we're used to. So that's mm-hmm. what makes us like, um, hold, like hold back, I guess, or push back. But I think that's changing,
0: mm-hmm.
2: especially now with working remotely. And a lot of people are happy about that. Like conferences, you were able to attend them remotely. I Something they've been denying. They've denied that for mm-hmm. years.
1: It's and now we've had saying. to accept them. Yeah. yeah. With the disability community, even myself with having a chronic illness, I'm like, there was so much pushback before of like working yeah. from home of like I don't believe in working from home. You're and not going like, to do anything. Yeah. It's been over a year later and everybody's been working from home. It's like the disability community has been fighting for this for so long and now all yeah. of a sudden everybody's doing it and yeah. It just proved how ableist society yeah. is. Yeah. No,
2: yeah. So I I think there's change coming and it's in the right direction, but I think to get back to your question about how is it transitioning to motherhood? I think so when I transitioned I gave birth 2019 December. So yeah. like coronavirus was like in China and like we didn't even think of it. I
1: know.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh,
1: it was December 2019. I thought it was earlier. No,
2: it was like December. I gave birth December uh, 17.
1: Oh, oh, um, okay. December yeah. 17. Okay.
2: Yes. Yeah, December 17, 2019. So then when we went to lockdown, my daughter was 3 months old. But even like uh. so I like you know, like the Mexican culture is like cuarentena, you don't leave your house for 40 days. Yes. Um, so like, I mean, I guess I was doing that, but more because like we were like scared of like what was going on around the world. Um, so I don't like, I guess my introduction to motherhood wasn't what I was normal or expected. Um, but at the same time I was like, okay, well, this is perfect because then I just get to bond with my baby.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: then like, I also was like struggling with my identity as a student. I was like, well, um all my cohort is submitting their second year projects and I haven't even started. So it's like I had a lot of like that guilt. It's like, well, I'm falling behind, I'm falling behind. So I was very ambitious of like trying to get back. So like I remember like my baby would fall asleep on my chest and I'd be reading. But then yeah. like I had like a fog over my head. Yeah. And I, I'd have to reread everything. Like whenever I would write, I'm like, I can't form a coherent thought. Like it was just like really tough. And I was like hard on myself and like I was like not recognizing that like my whole body was like going through a change themselves, and like I was trying to just stick to the way things used to be. It's like no, mm-hmm. I have to find new ways to get things done and recognize that what's worked before might not work this time and that's okay and now I'm able to say that but before I'd be like no like I was so type a like I need a schedule and like the baby needs to sleep from eight to nine and if they don't that just like messes up my whole day like it's been a big a big transition that way because like I was so time-oriented and it worked great in undergrad it worked great my first year of grad school but when I wasn't in control of my time anymore I think that was the hardest thing to accept and now I'm able to be like okay I didn't read that's fine like before I'd be like no (laughs) I have a deadline like and now I'm like oh I wasn't able to meet your deadline let's push it back I'm like okay and it's just like I guess being honest about what I could take on like I think I was taking on way too much in the beginning and now like I'm at a way better place and I'm able to take more on. And she's older, like in the beginning, like I was breastfeeding and she wouldn't take a bottle. So like, if I wasn't home, I would just think like she's not eating. And like, I wouldn't even be able to focus Mm. because I knew that, like, I knew I'm not home. She's not eating, like, is she okay? Like, yeah. And then just when I was able to go back to classes and I would be like, okay, well, I want her to eat. So I'm not, I'm not gonna go to my office to take my class. I'll stay home. I would hear her crying in the next room, be like, no, what's going on? Like, it was just like, I remember thinking like, I can't win. (laughs) So definitely like, like I, it was like a clear, a very clear distinction between like breastfeeding and not breastfeeding anymore. Cause when I stopped when she was one and two weeks, um, like I felt like this, let the fog like melt. Like, I could think again.
1: Oh, I'm not I, there yet. <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to that.
2: No, like, it was, and I talked to a mentor from LMU. She was like, right? Like, your brain just works again. I was like, yes. It just started. Like, I was like, I can synthesize. I can write. Like, I can read once a paper. It was just like, it was like, I think back, I'm like, just, it just, it just proved to me, like, how much energy your body puts into feeding another human. So it's just yeah. like like I I you know and it shows you like that much how much more support we deserve as breastfeeding moms, as just parenting students in general.
1: I mean one one of the things you mentioned earlier along with the, the postpartum fog is like just right away wanting to like get back to work. And a lot of us are pressured to do that, especially as academic moms, especially if you're in grad school. And it takes at least a year for your body to fully recover and that's not that's not including the whole process of like um breastfeeding like you said that that postpartum brain fog is so real i mean all the time i forget words like basic words. i'm like wait yeah i'm like what are that words that means x y and z and then they're just like you mean this and i'm like oh yeah
2: nah. <laughs> um, or even but, where things are or like yeah. wait
1: why did i come in this room <laughs> exactly and then you're, you also mentioned like this the whole scheduling and being type a and um, and I'm wondering um, going back to this idea of like how like your transition to motherhood how it's maybe affected you or changed you um, and now I'm going through that brain fog right now <laughs> but it's just like um at least in my experience everything that you've said is it rings true with every single PhD mom that I've met yeah it's that conflict of like you're never going to be a perfect parent you're never going to be a perfect academic when you're spending time with one you're not spending time with the other and you can't do anything perfectly but for me at least it's helped me to be less perfectionistic to be less type a to be okay with where I'm at, to advocate for myself, to advocate mm-hmm. for my child. So I have to advocate for myself in order to advocate for my child. Yeah. And every, every, I don't think I know of a single PhD mom who graduated at the same time as other people in their cohort. Like, And that's why there are policies to allow you to take at least an extra year, at least. Yeah. Um, and so I I always wonder about that because I think people get really nervous. They're like, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? And they ask me, like, should I have a baby? And I'm like, that's you. That's like, if you feel yeah. ready, like you do it. Don't tell, don't allow anybody else to make that decision for you. Yeah. Don't let an institution do it, a school do it, you know, whatever it is, do it for you. Um, but yeah, so um, now that you're a mom, if you can go back and say just how it has shed, that experience has shed light into even what you're studying because I also wanted you to talk about a little bit more about how what you study is so close to you and so close to your lived experience and to your identity and now that your identity has shifted a a lot I mean when you become a mom it's just um, for me it was a huge identity shift I'm not sure if that's true for you but um, it really informed my research as well so I'm just curious like what are some of the things that you noticed from before and now uh, in terms of your research?
2: Yeah. It's interesting because I remember when, even when I was an undergrad and I would see Maddie or one of our grad mentors and how she was a mom and her program, like, how did you do it? Like, I remember I would like try to pick her brain because I knew I, I knew I wanted to be a mom, like at a pretty young age. Um, So I would always think like, oh, well, maybe grad school will be the right time because like you can make your own time. Um, But even then, like, I think in grad school, like funding is, is like a really big part of, grad school so some people are able to take like a full like a real maternity leave and not think about anything but for me it was like if I took time off like like wasn't enrolled I would lose my funding so I had to still be enrolled and still meet and still meet deadlines and things so that I would have a way to live because I'm the primary provider in my family um and I remember when I even brought up the idea of like taking a maternity leave like there were professors who like chuckled at
1: that oh same oh yeah
2: like they're like no like it was just like like okay well you say you support students but the real support is like well what I really need is I need financial support can you do that And it's like now you're quiet but bring your baby and like okay well you're gonna watch my baby while I'm trying to do work of course not so it's just it's just it was it's definitely tough but it's also like you're saying it's informed my research and thinking about like how does that, like knowing that I have, well, right now, the way that things are going is like, I have a neurotypical child, but what if she were neurodiverse? Like how would that affect my family dynamic? How would that affect my marriage? How would that affect my internal and external family relations? Like, it just really like sheds light on like, even having like, for example, like like a child with um, another developmental disability, like Down syndrome, like that, changes the way you feed them it changes Mm -hmm. the way they walk it changes the way they language development it's just like so what supports are we giving these parents so I think for me it's also because I am a mom and because my my brother is autistic it's like what supports can we give to from to give the best access um so I think that's where like at the end of the day like my advisor always asks me she's like well what do you want your research to be about like well I don't know I just want to help families achieve the best life that they can so I'm always like stuck with that but at the end of the day it's like we do a lot of different things here in the lab we do a lot of intervention work with little kid with little kids um they're usually as young as like 18 months and it's a lot of like ABA kind of based um work and but it's also play-based too which I really like that we're just like playing with the individual and targeting um certain things that will allow for more language development, for more play development. And also there's a parent component to it. It's like um, empowering the parent to know how to play with their kid. Cause a lot of times it's like, well, what do I do? Or even like, it's it, culturally it's not like really common to see like mom and dad get on the floor with their kid and like start playing with the dolls. It's like, well, kids do that with themselves. We're not involved. It's like, no, like you are able to shape a child in that manner. And you're able to empower them with skills that will translate to will expand when they do go into school, when they like how to make friends, how to play with other kids. Um, but even then in those, in those meetings and those conversations, like there's um, barriers that we talk about. We're like, well, this family can't drive here, so we're not gonna enroll them. And it's like, that could have been my mom. Like that was probably my mom and why she never did research. Cause I remember my mom, Is kind of like like starting to develop like a hoarding habit of papers so I've found like recruitment flyers from UCSD because my family's in San Diego to my mom like why did you ever do this She's like well I don't drive on the freeway like like so just like so when we talk about those things when we talk about like actual barriers and like family issues and like like oh well like even in like when we're doing like recruitment, it's like, well, who are we trying to recruit? Cause this needs to be translated. And this needs to be a, like a fifth grade reading level.
0: Mm-hmm. And are
2: we gonna make it accessible? Like, are we gonna go to the homes? Like, do they need to pay for parking? Like, so just like the accessibility components of research make me really like reflect on like my own family and like the things we've been through. And I don't think a lot of like my cohort mates or like my lab mates really think about that because it's just work for them. Like they can come to work and they don't have to think about autism until the next day they come back but for me it's like no i leave and i call my mom and she'll share with me like maybe my brother had a hard day and and she'll ask me like well what can i do and it's like okay here i am like reading research articles trying to find strategies to tell my mom what to do so i don't know it's it's tough sometimes especially when we when we see like deficit-based thinking it's like well sorry but there's nothing we can do it's like well that could have been my mom and have no answers and say then why don't we move to this country if there's no answers for like if you're just gonna say no like it's 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 tough sometimes because i do take it personal but then it's also on me like my mental health and like okay i couldn't find i couldn't we couldn't recruit this family this time but it's like no but now that i'm doing my own research like i'm making sure that i'm targeting the families that could probably not come to ucla and even like the work that i'm doing like on this, on other, like for my qualifying exams, I'm analyzing different, like all toddler intervention papers and seeing if they recruited families who are not English speaking. And it's like also calling out researchers, it's like, why are you excluding families that don't speak English? Are you only gonna apply your intervention with English speaking families? Cause that's who you're, you're tailoring the intervention for. And that's not fair. Cause that's only like what, a third of the children in this country now, like, and literally, i like, I'm even coding to see and their limitations was that they didn't include like diverse speakers and some don't even bring it up. But then it's like also like the, the rebuttal is like, well, that wasn't our, that wasn't our, our, our population that we were targeting. I'm like, okay, well then you're only looking to work with the kids who can come to the labs.
1: know everything that you're um mentioning right now just serves as another reminder of why um at least within the mainstream um information about autism and autistic studies or studies on autistic individuals it's very it's prevalently like it's very white you don't see a lot of studies on like poc um but also what i'm hearing from you is that like as you've been one, uh, doing your research, then transitioning to your own experience of motherhood, and then continuing to do your work, it really is reinforcing your priorities. Like you're like, okay, this is why I'm here. Yeah. But also, it's like, you're willing to do the work of advocating so that you you make sure that people are becoming more culturally aware so that you're making sure it's ironic too. you're like, you're trying to make sure that this work is accessible when what you're talking about is providing services to folks yeah. who need resources. So resources and accessibility should go hand in hand, shouldn't it? (laughs) Uh, But then also at the same time, I can imagine like what that extra, that's that's a burden, that's an added load on your hands. That's like an extra like mental load of constantly having to push back, constantly having to advocate, constantly having to be the squeaky wheel. Uh, And then on top of that, you have your own family to worry about and you have your own mom and your own brother and you probably have added service requests because I, I don't think there are a lot of people who speak Spanish in your department. I don't think so. Or at least last time <laughs> we checked in, I don't remember that being true. Yeah. Um, no. So, yeah, I mean, what are you doing? Also, I now I'm like to, to take care of yourself or to yeah. make sure that you're surviving, that you're thriving, that, you know, one of the questions that someone asked on IG, because I know I, some folks wanted to hear about what it's like being a parent in grad school, they're like, okay, so how do you succeed? How do you excel? How do you thrive? There's a part yeah. of me that wants to kind of laugh at that because I'm like, ha ha ha, like, <laughs> wait till you're a parent. You know? You're like, what you is what I mean? <laughs> like
2: coffee here, please. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> like, I don't even want to drink it. Just give me the caffeine. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is extra work, but it's like, it brings like, because obviously it's like, well, like when I say like, are we going to translate this? And I was like, well, yeah, translate it. I'm like, okay, I have to translate it. <laughs> and then it's like, I have to find volunteers a lot of the time to, so for us to do like forward and backward translation. So it's like, I mean, it is extra work, but I mean, I, I get like, I find it worth it when we are able to recruit a family. And even like with the focus group that I did last week, it's like when parents are so thankful and it's like and it's like okay you're thankful to me but I'm sorry this hasn't been done before like I'm sorry that I had to be the first one but I'm happy to but it's like and I always daydream like when I have my lab, I'm gonna do this. Like when
1: I have my own projects. <laughs> you're not you're not daydreaming, you're manifesting. <laughs> yes.
2: No, and like literally like me imagino like my lab. Like I want no computer chairs, like I want like I want a couch, like I want papel picado on the walls, I want music, like I'm just like, oh, like when I've been just thinking about it. So like, it reminds me, like, I love research. And before I'd be like, I want to teach. I want to be a CSU. And I'm like, wait, I, maybe I do want to be like an R1. So I can research and I can do those things. I don't know, like I'm having a shift, but it's also like thinking about like being a mom. And it's like, well, will I, will it work? Will I have the schedule? Will I, will I have the time? And I think the best advice that is that I've, taken and that I've read from some people is that treating your PhD like a job and really like having clear boundaries but also being realistic about the deadlines you have so it's like sometimes you go to sleep late you have to go to sleep late but then also it's like I don't work at night like 8 p.m I'm done like I'm not like it's. I know I have work and I'll always have work I always have work it's just about choosing you just choose when you do it, so then mm-hmm. that's when I guess it's like a work, like a job. So like me and my partner, my husband, we um, we are really like on Sunday nights we sit down. It's like, what do you have to do this week? And it's like, um, we okay, like oh well, I'm going to the lab at this day. This day, I'm like well, I have something at two. Can you come back So we're Sophia, 'cause watch Sophia? Because we can't afford daycare. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just make it work that way. I'm like, okay, maybe I'll have a short day, and then I'll compensate those hours. I'll compensate those hours in another way. Um, So definitely make it work that way. I lost my train of thought. Sorry. (laughs) It's Um, okay.
1: But you were just saying like having clear boundaries, yeah. checking yes. in with your husband, um, yeah. which is funny because um, that's a whole other episode topic yeah. about like having, having a partner, yeah, and how to navigate Because sure. I was like, oh, you have one of those. meetings. I have meetings, check-in meetings with my husband, yeah, all the time too. Same. We we have the baby here. Like I've yes. got my kid homeschooling. I've got my baby like I'm in the other room. Yeah. Anytime I have a meet, like right now, I'm like anytime I have a meeting. Uh, I, I tell him I'm like, hey, just heads up. I have a meeting just so that way, like if the baby's like yelling, crying, that way, you know, he can take a walk with her outside. Mm-hmm. Just something to calm her yeah. down.
2: Yeah, and it's being real. Mm-hmm. So literally we have a Google calendar and we have like a week cal- calendar, like right next to the door. It's like, well, you didn't tell me. It's on there. It's on the calendar. If you check your phone, it's there. Yep, I mean, same. we we give each other grace, but it's also like, you know, things have to get done and he's just gotten a new job. So it's also like, like, supporting each other in our dreams, but then also trying to do the best to make it work. And um, I think another piece of advice would be like, it's not about work-life balance, it's about harmony, like harmony in your life. And I got this from Dr. Maricela Becerra, who is on Instagram as academic mommy. And she always talks about this, like sometimes work comes first, sometimes family comes first. And I'm like, I need to like glue this Mm -hmm. wherever I can see it to like remind me because I mean I do feel mom guilt it's like I only see my like sometimes like this morning I saw my daughter for 30 minutes and I'm just gonna put her to sleep tonight and that's all I got to see her today because I have a lot of work Mm -hmm. but it's also like my work brings me joy so even she talks about like mom joy like I love the work that I do and it it like makes me happy and I like I even when I'm writing like I like just go like I get like like how people get runners high, I get writers high, like I just Mm. write so fast and it's like I get in, like I get emotional about the things that I write about or the things that I'm studying or reading a paper, Um, so it's also like I want her to be able to see that like her mom had a dream and she went for it, like one day like, yeah, like I wish I was there more, but it's like even when like sometimes I know that like I have the right to follow my dreams too and work for what I want, and like that brings me mom joy. Um, just thinking about like the antithesis of like mom guilt. Why should we feel mom guilt? Why should I feel guilty for going to school? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it, it is tough, but you're able. It I think it when you treat your PhD like a job and you have those clear boundaries and you give yourself grace. I mean, and there's no right time to have a baby. If you and your partner feel that you're ready to have a baby in grad school after grad school there's always going to be things you want to do it's like oh I'll, I'll have a baby once I graduate oh, I'll have a baby once I secure my job oh, I'll have a baby once I have tenure like there's always going to be an uh, if but when this like so and it, yeah. you just adjust I think you adjust like and it's a learning curve at first it's like super tough because how you were saying it's an identity shift you're letting go a lot of the things you were able to do before but you're also gaining a lot of things and I think that's a sad part that people don't talk about talk about like what you gain from being a parent what you like I never knew it's it's gonna sound super cheesy like I never knew I could love something so much
0: (laughs) I'm laughing because it's cheesy but true yeah like
2: I like I hold my daughter sometimes like when I'm like I'm at school all day and I'm just like I just want to smell her like I'm literally running up the stairs to make sure I can put her to sleep like and I just hold her and like going back and forth in the rocking chair and I just hug her and like it takes my breath away like how much I love this little person like I'm getting emotional like like, it's just like you know it's it's, like a lot of people don't talk about that like they're like oh we'll get ready to not sleep and it's like why are you so annoying (laughs) like no (laughs) like 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 like, even when I would do her laundry, I'm like, this smells like her. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I don't know. Like, it's like, it's the hardest and most beautiful thing you will ever do.
1: Yep. Be yep. a
2: parent.
1: I mean, for me, it's like, um, with having a baby the second time around, I've experienced so much joy this time around. And it, it just puts everything into perspective. It's like, at the end of the day, if there's something that's going on at work, I'm like, it's okay. Like, that can wait. You know, I've got this time with my daughter. Yeah. Um, and it's really given me that like that silver lining of like yeah the pandemic was completely awful but then for in other ways it was a silver lining in other yeah. ways it, it allowed me time to 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 spend more time with my daughter yeah, same um, and same with you like you mentioned the harmonizing earlier I use that term harmony as well or sometimes I'll say like I like to just kind of ride the waves like yeah. there are there's that wave of like okay things are going to get busy and intense at work and I'm not going to be able to hang out with my daughter as much, but then there are going to be lulls. And then that's when I can spend more time with her. And then there are times that they conflict and you have to just kind of reprioritize. And um, I feel like I've learned so many skills just from being being a mom. Like,
2: yeah,
1: I'm way more organized. I'm very, way more efficient with my time. Like, even like you mentioned Maddie earlier, um, she's one of the grad mentor or was because she graduated now's yeah. off doing amazing things and has a great job and everything but um I'm like she was just so great and efficient and just on top of things so people are always surprised they're like like they they have these misconceptions you know I've had people doubt me because of finding out that that I'm a mom and and I'm the opposite I actually I'm like if this person's a parent they probably know how to do a bunch of things
0: yeah
2: oh yeah I can trust them like yeah for sure Yeah. I've had that. It's like, you know, like you don't get offered some things to like be on certain projects because like, Oh, she's not going to have time. Like, Oh, she's not going to be able to do it. And you know, it's, it's, it's discouraging, but it's also like, watch me.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Exactly.
2: Exactly. (laughs) Just wait, just wait. And I had that attitude and, and I, I got like, I just applied like for two grants and I got them and I'm like, okay, well, like, now I got to do it because I did it out of spite a little bit, mm-hmm. but, and I'm like, okay, well, motivation, here we go.
1: <laughs> I mean, I got the most fellowships out of anyone in my department right out of like being post, like weeks postpartum, like postpartum, yeah. I had just had a baby and then I applied to a bunch of fellowships and I got the most out of anybody in my department. If I was questioned, because I was like, also, you know, not, you know, I, I took like a year or two more than everybody else in my cohort to graduate. And so people did have their doubts and I definitely proved them wrong. So yeah, um, yeah being a mom for me has been very empowering and I've noticed yeah. that has been true for a lot of us. We're, we're actually getting ready to, or we should get ready to wrap up. Um, and I, I, I'm kind of like wondering like what else you might wanna share to anyone about everything when it comes to being first gen, being a first time mom, being a grad student I mean you're in your what year are you in right now I'm ending my third isn't that oh crazy? my gosh <laughs> okay so yeah. you're right in the middle of it yeah <laughs> in the and I cover.
2: yeah so and like you're saying like my cohort they just did, they all did their qualifying exams and I pushed it and that was fine like I did so yeah. at first it was like it kind of felt like um like guilty about it but now I'm like I'm so happy I did like you're like you don't approve okay I, i'm doing it
1: mm-hmm. and
2: like you're saying like you have fellowships so i think being a grad student and having funding like my own funding and fellowships has allowed me to be like well this is my own timeline yes. and if you're if you don't approve it that's you muito pedo <laughs> my family would say um <laughs> yeah um, I actually
1: like read up the policy when I was a grad student just to make sure so that way whenever I say something I could back it up with the yeah. policy and be like oh you want to like take away my funding you want to kick me because I heard these horror stories of yeah. other parents who had had these threats made to them yeah. so that way I could always have my like my rebuttal and be like oh you want to do that well here it is in the policy and I to this day I still do that Where like if anything comes up I'm it up with like yeah. data, policy yeah. information just you to, have to because have folks to. you never know how many people are going to discriminate against you I've even had folks who consider themselves allies folks who themselves self-identify as like either parents or as women of color or as first gen who have given me pushback for being a parent and it sucks um, but yeah. you got to do what you got to do that's why you are you know that much more empowered now because you
2: yeah
1: yeah you you you're learning all of these skills along the way yeah
2: and I mean I think of like a advice that I would give like a first gen because I think that's like like it's very like very distinct like my my process like through grad school, it's like first gen, like first year, I was just first gen, so it was like navigating like the hidden curriculum of like academia, and it's like how to like, like the standard of work from like from undergrad to grad school obviously is very different, and like the way you, the way classes are set up is very different, so it's more of like you read a paper and you just discuss it, so it's like for me, like it was really hard for me to read, like really like like stoic papers it's like this is so dry like i can't even understand it so like the first thing i did it was based off advice from you it was like i set up like reading groups with my friends like i found friends and nice. we're like okay which which article do you want to read this week like okay and then i would we would all like write a summary and we would have those notes when we would have class so like that was really helpful especially with like saving time um it was really really helpful and. I think going even going back to like finding your friends finding people that you connect with and being able to tell who is being fake in a way like people are just being nice and reading the microaggressions reading the Mm -hmm. room like
1: I think figuring out who you can and can't trust. And exactly. it reminds me of that conversation that I had with Sirenia about yeah. ethical chisme. It's like, yeah. who can you trust? Who can't you trust? And then just yeah. building community around the folks you can trust. And
2: how you were saying, like, you get a feeling, like, I feel a vibe. People give mm-hmm. you vibes, like, like their auras... You, they vibrate differently it's like you I can like you know like you You can feel when someone's being genuine or when yeah. someone just like wants to know like well what funding did you get it's like why do you care
1: okay <laughs> yeah. that's a little bit invasive like yeah it. exactly
2: yeah. so it's like being and, and I, I guess even being selfish with your time and energy mm-hmm. that's, a, that's an advice I, I would say, kid, say like,
1: being intentional
0: yes <laughs> with your time even, <laughs> yeah. that,
2: even that exactly yeah. and like you know like for the people that you do identify as like people who are going to support you like set up like like we we're saying like reading groups writing groups like homework time groups like i remember with patricia and martin we would set up like a one hour one time at the library to just do work yeah yeah like we would go to the library and just like us four because we took qualitative studies together we would just go in there and like work on our stuff before we had class or something like and it was just nice to be working with people even if we we're just quiet because I think I missed that a lot from undergrad, because I had mm. a lot of friends to study with. And I think in grad school, it's a lot more, everyone's doing their own thing. So mm-hmm. it's a lot harder to make friends, a lot harder to hang out. And even as a mom mm. now, it's even harder. Oh, <laughs> my like, god. No Talk
1: to me about that, about that, that <laughs> friendship struggle when you become a mom. Oh
2: oh yeah
1: I'm lucky if I even get to see my friends like once a year in person
2: exactly (laughs) or even talking to them or even have anything in common so you know and it's like how do you not let that get to you too I think in the beginning that was hard for me too because it's like all my friends are like mid-20s still they're all partying and it's like well I'm gonna go pump (laughs) yeah that hasn't
1: (laughs) changed <laughs> oh my God. I'm laughing because I'm like I'm like in my I guess early 30s and yeah. I still have that struggle. Like yeah, my child-free friends going out and drinking, yeah. and I'm like, I I need I also need to pump. <laughs> I'm trying yeah. to pump up
0: for this.
2: <laughs> yes, it's it's hard. I mean, but then so thinking about like now as a parenting student, I think I did a lot of like research, like because. When I was, like, fall of 2019, when I was, like, getting to re- give, getting into labor and things like that, like, I remember, like, I did check out, like, okay, where are the closest pumping rooms for me? Like, where am I going to pump when I come back? Like, like, I need disability services in order to be able to leave the room every three hours and not have a professor call me out or be, like, get mad at me. I'm, like, but no, I have... exactly I'm like I need I have this accommodation and like if something were to come up with my daughter and I I needed to leave or if I couldn't turn an assignment I wanted to make sure how you were saying like I'll have a policy behind me I have support in order to make sure that I'm not discriminated against because I'm a parent Mm -hmm. because I have another barrier so I made sure I have that like I I was registered with disability services I did my research like okay where's the closest pump room like where am I going to keep my milk like Like, do I have all the parts, like all the prep that I did before? Like I had, I bought a pumping backpack that had like a computer sleeve. Mm -hmm. Like, so like, how did I prep myself to think like, I'm going to come back and how am I going to make things work? Like I got on the UCLA um, wait list for daycare. I'm like, I'm still on that wait list. It's she's one and a half. Like it's never going to happen.
1: It took my son, what, two, two and a half years for him to get off that list. I'm sorry. And even then it's so
2: expensive. Oh Yeah. even if we get on, like am I gonna pay for it? I don't know. She's an early head she's an early head start, home based. So when she turns two, she can go to center based. And mm-hmm. it's free. And it's eight to three. Like, you know, it's like that's my it might it's a little further, yeah. but it's free. So it's like
1: no. And unfortunately, like that's just that's a whole problem Pending. not just in the yeah. u- university level but that's like a, on a national level yeah. the problem of child-, child care here and yeah a child care should be a right you know everybody should have access to it, it shouldn't be just those who are who okay. have that kind of um yeah. class privilege yeah yep
2: for sure so I think those would be definitely like advice that I would give like then parenting parents like set up as much as you can set up your environment for success but then at mm-hmm. the same time it's like know that success might look different Right. Mm-hmm. It's like even like the days where like I didn't get that much work done because I had to pump every three hours for 30 minutes at a time, and people would give me stares, like, oh, she's gonna get up again. It's like, no, but I pumped 50 ounces. It's like, <laughs> wow, you know, like if you told it to a mom, it'd yes. be like,
1: oh my gosh, I like know. that's amazing like that's then, yeah that is amazing yeah, like wow you know <laughs> and I'm an oversupplier and I yeah. think that's amazing
2: <laughs> yeah there were days where I was pumping like 60 ounces that's incredible and I was like because I was such an over supplier and I was like because I was so on him like I like she needs to eat like I I can't lose my Mm -hmm. supply Mm
1: -hmm. like so it's like that's a whole other stressor too
2: yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) but like if you if I if you were to tell that to a mom who's not a student she'd be like oh my god you're doing amazing and then but you're looking at yourself from a student perspective so it's like but I didn't get to work so Mm -hmm. it's like you you're measuring your successes in different metrics but it's like no success is going to look very different now now Mm -hmm. you're a mom and a student right yep. so what does that look like and it's your own timeline yes. Like give yourself grace harmony over work there's no such thing as balance you yep. know and like feeding your feeding yourself too I think that like I like to put it this way I, I saw a tweet I forgot who it was from but it was like would you go six hours without feeding your baby would you go six hours without giving your baby water or changing mm-hmm. their diaper? Or would you go a week without doing their laundry? No, of course not. But why would you do that to yourself? Yeah. Why do you go yeah. hours without eating? Why do you go hours without going outside and taking a walk? It's like, we are so quick to put ourselves second, mm-hmm. but it's like, no, in order for my baby to thrive, I have to be, I have to That's thrive. It's so so like, true. how are, are you prioritizing yourself? Mm-hmm right and it's like that might look different every time and it might change you might not be able to like like it might give you anxiety to think of self-care it's like no my time is for this like no I can't I like you cognitively can't make those distinctions but really like even just reading those words I think it might start to cause yes. like a, a change in your mindset and then later be like you know what my self-care act of the day was this even as little as like I filed my nails mm-hmm. you know like okay tomorrow or I drink two of my water bottles today like wow you know little wins yeah. Like celebrate the little wins it's like you know like I'm gonna meal prep so I make sure I have three meals tomorrow because <laughs> if yeah. not I'll just have one and a, and a protein shake you know like
0: mm-hmm.
2: I think like thinking of how much we care for our children it's like but do I care for myself in the same way mm-hmm. I don't know it's just something that if you would have told me that and even then like if you would have told me that when I was three months postpartum I'd be like who do you think you are <laughs> trying to tell me how to live my life <laughs> but now it's like no like it's true you know and it's like it's a lot of that hormonal change and that like yeah. identity shift that you're like y- your world is changing you're riding the waves how you're saying so mm-hmm. it's just like knowing that it's gonna get better Like no matter what, because your baby is growing, you they don't need you as much, and I'm. But I'm sure there's going to be in other ways they need you, right? Like I'm Mm -hmm. sure, like now that Emmy's in school, like he needs you in other ways that like Mm -hmm. Ellie needs you in different ways.
1: Yeah, that's
2: right. It's. I mean, it's always changing.
1: Um. Thank you so much for those words. They're so. I'm like. I feel like you're you're um, preaching to me (laughs) because I'm like I've got a seven month old, so I'm like. Yeah. All right i should go outside more <laughs> <laughs> okay well, last thing before before you go i know we're yes. like no, we're, we're a little over time so this is self-care uh, if folks <laughs> wanted to reach you they're like yeah. oh my gosh fernanda was amazing i'd love to be in touch or you know something that she said yeah. to me or what whatnot how can they reach
0: you
2: i when i now i'm thinking to serenius um episode i'm like I've, I've needed someone to force me to make an academic twitter and i think this is it so i will share with you my academic twitter once i make it but okay. my instagram um is let me i always forget my username it's fair with three e's uh-huh. underscore my last name castellon c-a-s-t-e-l-l-o-n um but you can always send me an email too i think i'm way more responsive on email which is fernanda Mm-hmm. Castell, C A S T E L L at G Um Yeah, I mean, I love and I think it stems from you too, how much you love working with undergrads and how much you, how you've been such like a great mentor to us that I love mentoring. Oh.
1: So if you
2: like, if you're an undergrad who like is thinking of like coming to UCLA, if you have a sibling, if you are thinking of like grad school and ASD or anything like shoot me an email like I'm more than happy to I always like like I we always need volunteers here at the lab especially Spanish speaking so if you're interested like shoot me an email we'll set something up um but yeah like if anything resonated to you if if you're just gonna like edit all of this out that's okay because I'm not this editing is so- <laughs> any
1: of this out I- <laughs> I- if this I'm is- a mom I don't have time
2: <laughs> <laughs> the truth <laughs>
1: hashtag the truth yes I know because someone was asking me actually. I went to this like UCLA alumni networking thing. They invited me and someone was like, oh, I, I know you do a podcast and la da And they're like, it's so much work, all the editing and la. And I keep wanting to like be perfect. And and I told them I was like, Psh- if I worried about being perfect, if I worried about editing, if I worried about having the right equipment, I wouldn't be doing this. Like I, yep. there, and I'm like, for me, the priority is getting the message out there. Yeah. It might not be perfect. It might not sound great. It's not the greatest quality, but it doesn't matter because folks are listening anyway. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll keep this in. <laughs> thank you so much, Fernanda. <laughs> no, thank you. It's this is nice. So awesome. <laughs> I know.
0: All right. Bye. Cuídate. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Femme Touring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you tune in. You can also support the podcast by donating to my Patreon page, Anger page, or Venmo account, which is at gradschoolfemme touring. If you have questions or episode topics, you can contact me by sending me a DM on Instagram, sending me an email to gradschoolfemtouring at gmail.com, sending me a voice message on Anchor, or sending me a message via my personal website at eventmartinezvu.com. Until next time.